You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. Welcome to this week's podcast. Now I've been a bit late with podcasts. I took a lot of time off for Thanksgiving to do nothing but spend time with family and animals and eat. So I hope you don't mind. But we have one this week. This week I talked to Ari Sniverson. Um, Ari's a nutritionist. And he's, he's worked a lot with people with eating disorders, and he's actually worked in treatment centers. But uh, Ari comes from a competitive bodybuilding background and re- himself recovered from binge-restrict cycles that are actually common in, among bodybuilders in that community. So because of his experience, Ari has devoted himself to help people struggling with the same sort of stuff that he did, uh, body image, self-hatred, binge restrict cycles, trying to change your body, all of that stuff. So we talk about that. We talk about uh, the book Ari has just published, 100 Days of Food Freedom. Um, And we get into lots of things, actually, about recovery and um, life within full recovery as opposed to life with an eating disorder. So here's Ari. So my name is Ari Sniverson. Um, I am a nutrition coach right now as my main profession. I also work as a diet tech and a counselor at a residential eating disorder treatment center. Um, So as a nutrition coach, I primarily tailor what I'm doing to uh, help those with disordered eating and eating disorders, but I also work with just general population. Um, And so I just published a book called 100 Days of Food Freedom, and that basically kind of outlines a lot of the ways that I see eating disorder treatment. Um, And that is so far basically uh me in the eating disorder world mm-hmm. and so how did um let let's let how did your your own eating disorder start Ari yeah so so I started when I was 17 um I competed in my first bodybuilding show and uh leading up to that I had no experience in any athletics or anything like that um I was always smaller as a kid and so that was something that was an issue of confidence for me so getting into bodybuilding was kind of a way for me to, you know, increase my confidence and all of that. Um, found that I really liked the idea of it, but as I prepared for it, realized how intense that is and uh, the degree of restriction and eventually stimulant abuse and things like that that are involved with that. Um, and then the subsequent post-contest binge eating was really what I think kind of projected or sent me into this whole community. Um, I didn't realize going into it how intense that can be. And really, like once you get down to that level of leanness, it's hard to see your body as um, okay when it's any heavier than that. So it really, really distorts the way you see your body and the community as a whole, which hopefully we can get into a little bit. The community as a whole is, you know, uh, spreads a lot of that kind of toxic message. So that that was sort of how I got into this, and that was how my eating disorder started. Um, and I've competed in two shows, so both times the post-contest binge eating was really, really bad. And it was the second time that I realized that um, this is more than just you know the consequence of a sport that I enjoy. This is an actual psychological issue that needs to um, be worked out. That to me just um, it looks like the the feast famine cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, you know, with the with the binge with the binge restrict thing, then that's that's more biological, I think, than anything else. You're restrict you're, right, you're yeah. restricting, and that puts your body into a place of famine, 
or perceived famine. And then so as soon as your food becomes available again, you feast on it. Right. No, yeah, actually, you're totally right about that. And in fact, um, that is one thing that uh, yeah, I realized I said the word psychological, but that is one thing I try and tell people is that that, uh, you know, the psychological side is kind of secondary to that, because like you said, it is primarily a metabolic issue. It is something where, you know, the brain is not okay with that. It's not used to that level of restriction, and it does feel like it needs to compensate. So yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, and I think that also that this is, seems to me, or from what I've heard, this seems really common in the bodybuilding community, because um, I did a podcast before with a female bodybuilder, and she talked about the same thing. And it seems that it's sort of pretty common and accepted. But she did also mention that she thought that nobody really talked about the the binging aspect of things or wasn't quite as open as that people kind of maybe hid that a little bit right yeah no absolutely you're right the binge eating side of it i think is you know in part because bodybuilding is seen as this sport or this discipline of of discipline and of self-control um i think that the binge eating side of it is seen as a personal fault or a failure somehow and so it's kind of hidden and not really talked about because a lot of the bodybuilders that I know or that I followed in the community um, kind of brush it off and say, yeah, well, you know, it's like two or three days after your show, have fun with how you eat, and then just like get back on the diet train, basically, which the whole idea is that somehow you did something wrong by eating after. Like you like you said, you know, the feast-famine cycle, it's the body really does want you to eat. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of how it's been seen and. Yeah, totally. The binging side of it is just totally brushed under the rug, and it's kind of treated as this sort of secondary thing that's not a real issue, but it's a very serious issue. Right. Um, and so t tell me a little bit about, that, about how that did affect you both physically and mentally. Definitely. It, so the, fir the, the two times that I competed were very different experiences. The first one, as I said, I was 17, so I was very young. Um, it was all very new to me, but it did really mess with the way I saw food. Up until then, again, like I said, you know, I had no involvement in athletics or anything, um, so a lot of that was even a new introduction for me. Um, but I'd never, you know, known to dislike my body before. I never knew that was something that you could even do. I was just, it was just my body was what it was. I didn't see it as anything else, but. Um, I think that it kind of set this precedent that, wait, my body can look like this, and I get all these positive comments when it looks like this, so that must be a good thing, um, which really, really changed how I saw my body and how I saw my eating, ultimately. Um, going into that second show, I I thought that things were going to be better. I kind of justified to myself that, you know, I've learned a lot since then. Um, I was in college at the time for health sciences, and so I thought that I had a grasp of how things would work and that I could make it a little bit easier on myself. But as it turned out, the second time was arguably worse. I ended up abusing a lot of stimulants and things like that. Um, and it just kind of sent me down a really, really bad spiral. And the binge eating that followed, I would say, it's this sort of insidious thing where leading up to, you know, the first or leading up to the show, you don't realize how bad it is because there's all these thoughts in your mind of, I'm going to compete, I'm going to look great. There's going to be pictures, this and that. Uh, and then it hits you after the show that now you get to eat again. But it, it wasn't really on your mind up until then. So you kind of just go all out and you eat, you know, whatever's in sight. And 
like you said, it is a normal response from the body, but it feels very, very wrong. Um, yeah, and so so that's sort of that's sort of what it looked like the second time. Um, it really, really screwed with how I saw eating and the relationship I had with food, and I came to realize that that's what needed to be worked on. It wasn't a discipline issue. It wasn't something where I just needed to do better about eating. It was truly figuring out why my relationship with food was the way it was and how I could move to a style of eating that's normal and that my body um, naturally was inclined to, to eat. So, so really an intuitive eating style. What did that mean for bodybuilding? Um, in terms of the intuitive eating? I, I would say that's a good question. I would say that from then on, that might have been one of the toughest things was that, you know, I still had some interest in um, gaining muscle and things like that, but I was trying to justify, I was really trying to reconcile how I could be interested in that and still take this body positive, intuitive eating approach. But what I came to find, what I came to find out was really that, you know, when you treat your body correctly, when you listen to those normal hunger and satiety cues, the body does know what it's doing. Um, and in fact, though I wouldn't have expected it at the time, uh, it responds a lot better to that because you're not forcing any external food rules. You're not forcing that restriction. You don't have those binge restrict cycles or anything like that. And so you feel better. You go through your day-to-day -day life better. And I, all of a sudden, you know, working out even turned from this thing of restriction and punishment to something I could enjoy and just sort of celebrate what my body's able to do. So really, I think it had a net positive effect, but certainly I learned to leave the bodybuilding community behind. Right, because I think that that's, yes, you're saying all of these things are positive, but that also probably means that you can't do what you need to do in order to be a competitor. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest question I get is, you know, are you going to do another show or is it possible to do a show while, you know, still being body positive and all of that? And I, you know, as much as I would like to give the fun answer, I just don't see it. I can't see this community having any sort of positive message with it. Um, and I understand a lot of people come in here with good intentions and they see it as an issue of uh, self-control and kind of proving to themselves they can do something. But there's really no way for this to be channeled correctly. It's just a very, very toxic community. So it's it, it does have to be something that is left behind if you really do want to embrace body positivity and um, eat normally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So do you think in the, the gym environment, well, okay, I guess I should start this question with the perception that eating disorders are primarily a, a girl's problem, a woman's problem, mm -hmm. a female problem. Um, I'm not sure that I perceive it that way. I, I get a lot of guys contacting me. Um, I also think that eating disorders in, in guys can look different, but they can still be there. And right. so I was just wondering what your perception, what, as a guy, what, what do you see in gyms and in, in the bodybuilding community? Yeah, that's so. So this is something where you know I often hear people say things like uh, eating disorders aren't a girl's issue, or you know men are kind of that silent minority, or like things like that. But I never hear much action, I guess I could say. And so, so what I mean by that is that um, it still seems like even with these positive messages that are coming out about how people are realizing men go through these things as well, 
it still seems like people as a whole are very uncomfortable with the idea that men not only experience emotions, but also experience deep-seated insecurities, which is maybe one reason that this has been uh, kind of kept in the shadows, is the fact that men are kind of expected, not kind of, men are very much expected to be very secure about their bodies, they're supposed to be strong and masculine and proud and all of these things, and so when you look at that and then you say, well, this person also has an eating disorder, it's really hard to understand how that's going on. Um, and I think that guys as a whole have sort of been taught to suppress their emotions and not to talk about things like that. So, so yeah, it, it, it is, I mean, you know, there are these statistics which are skewed just by virtue of the fact that men don't feel comfortable opening up about their eating disorder experiences and also the fact that um, practitioners are less likely to diagnose men who experience the same symptoms with an eating disorder. Um, but the statistics even still show that men on average experience the same amount of disordered eating behaviors as a whole, so collectively speaking, because, you know, with women, things like purging and laxative abuse might be more common, but still men have disordered eating behaviors that are more common on their end. So it is arguably, um, you know, just not a gender issue at all. I think it, it, you could easily make the case that even though it's represented more in women, um, I think that both men and women are going through this um, equally. And I wonder if the... Um I think it I think it's it's often perceived that women have a harder time of it and I I don't necessarily actually think that that's true at all. I think that there can be just as much pressure on guys and um I th having you know I used to spend a lot of time in gyms when I was sick and right. it was it's just the whole culture makes disordered um, behaviors so commonplace and so celebrated that it's very hard for people to even get their head around that what they're doing might be disordered. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that if you were to explain to someone, you were to say, yeah, you know, uh, the things I engage in are X, Y, and Z, and you were to tell them basically the different elements of competing in bodybuilding, which, you know, I don't want to get too much into, but like the restriction and everything else that like some of the stuff that's kind of pushed under the rug. Um, if you were to tell them all of those things and then conclude it by saying, Oh, it's for a bodybuilding competition. All of a sudden it gets this pass. It's not seen as a disordered way of living anymore, which to me is very Absolutely. disturbing. Yeah. 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 And I think for that reason, it can really um, attract people with eating disorders because it shields the eating disorder. And, um, it was, I mean, I did, I did similar things myself, myself, sorry. Um, that was one of the reasons that I trained to be a personal trainer because it's like, well, if it's my job, nobody can tell me it's disordered that I'm in the gym all day. <laughs> that is, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, a safe place to hide your behaviors because other people not only, so this is something that I've said multiple times that not only will you get a pass for it, but you'll actually be congratulated for it. And so that's often talked about in anorexia. So you know this very well that um, in the initial stages of weight loss, anorexics will get tons of compliments, will be encouraged to do what they're doing. Um, and it just sort of encourages the behavior and anyone who has any degree of you know restrictive behaviors or anything like that, that when you get external validation for that, it's just going to be this vicious cycle that gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. 
So what's what's your advice for anybody that is listening to this and they are in that vicious cycle, or at least they're starting to maybe realize that they are? Okay, so I would say in terms of, I, I have advice for different groups here. I would say for anyone who is, let's say, interested in or actively preparing for a physique competition, anything like that, um, of course, you know, my general advice is to not do that because I don't think it's a very uh, body positive community. I don't think it's a positive community at all, to be honest. Um, so that would, that would be the just general advice, although that's not fun to tell anyone in that position. But I would say as a whole, um, my advice is that you can still enjoy working out. You can still enjoy, um, you know, like seeing what your body is capable of doing. You can be proud of, you know, the muscle that you have, all of those things. And it doesn't have to be a toxic thing. But once you invite uh, heavy restriction and you invite um, things like being down to really low body fat percentages and saying, that I'm still holding fat, things like that, that are just so, so damaging, you take away from the enjoyment of that. And so I would tell people that you can enjoy this even more if you avoid that element, that this can be a really, the fitness community can be a really, really positive community, but unfortunately it has for a long time kind of bathed in this idea that you need to weigh less and that you need to be lean. So I guess that would be the positive side of this, that you can escape that and you can, you can make this a very positive thing. And so that's that's more for people who may not have, say, anorexia, but are just a little bit too wound up in the fitness community and have got themselves to the point where it's 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 not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then I would also say for any guys, because I know this is kind of a, um, you know, there are multiple groups that we're talking about here. So for any guys that are going through an eating disorder, I definitely have some very specific things that I would like to get across. The first one is that vulnerability is huge. If you can, as a guy going through an eating disorder, if you can practice vulnerability in little ways such as, I mean, obviously opening up to those close to you um, or, you know, uh, being very honest about the things that you do, um, you not only make this easier for yourself, but you make it easier for other guys to open up about this. So I've noticed that when I talk to people and people bring up things that I personally find not appropriate to discuss. So like dieting or the way our bodies look and, and I make a comment about that as a guy, I don't think that's expected by a lot of people. And so it actually, for better or for worse, it carries a little bit more weight, um, at least with guys that I talk to when I say something like that, because they realize, you know, no, these things aren't just touchy subjects to girls. And I think the implication there is that girls are just overly emotional. And so that's why they have eating disorders. So when guys show that, no, this is like, this is an issue that affects us all, it kind of opens people's eyes up to the fact that, you know, disordered eating is a continuum. People experience different degrees of this. And so um, no one really should have to talk or be talked to about their bodies or their dieting or anything like that. So it's really, really important that guys are able to uh, talk about that. That's, yeah, that, that, that's my main piece of advice is that vulnerability is such a huge part of recovery. Um, that, along with having a support system, those are just like the foundational elements of recovery, in my opinion. And so what would you, if somebody has exercise compulsion, then what would your, what would your advice be for that? 
That's okay. That's a good question because that kind of brings in the idea that, like I had touched on earlier, exercise can be a celebration of what your body can do. At the same time, um, and I know this is something that you have dealt with and you talk a lot about on your podcast, the whole exercise side of this can become very pathological. And so it's tough to bring that element into this and say, well, no, exercise can be a positive thing. For a lot of people, it's not a positive thing and it's really hard to steer clear of that. I wrote about this a bit in my book and I talk about the fact that um, that with with anyone who is going through a compulsive exercise behavior and that's an element of your eating disorder, um, it's important that you take time off and that first and foremost, you focus on whether any injuries have come out of that. Um, so if, because it's very common that anyone who compulsively exercises pushes into overreaching, overtraining, and um, just taxes their body way more than it can handle, it's really important that you're able to, to rest and recover from that because there's so much advice out there about how to exercise in a different way or, you know, just do tons of yoga or things like that that um, are okay for certain groups. But it's just if, if you have been exercising a lot, your body's worn out, it needs to recover. That is such an important first piece of this. For those people, I guess I would say that that's where this needs to start. And exercise obviously does need to be toned down. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not a trainer. I'm a nutrition coach, so I definitely don't want to, uh, you know, extend beyond what I actually know here. But it is important that recovery is prioritized and that the health of your body is prioritized. Yeah, and I think that um, you keep on mentioning there's different groups, and I do think that that's true. And I think that also the problem with, um, say, people with anorexia is that we become very black and white, and uh, uh, you know just want to know well what's the what's the coverall answer to every person who has an eating disorder, and and just kind of want it to be like that, but it often isn't like that. And so the people that I tend to work with are people who have long-term, um, long-term anorexia that pretty much halts their entire life, and they have chronic, um, excessive, and compulsive exercise a lot of the time, which isn't just having the physical um, element to it, but has had a mental element where their brain is now wired to think that they have to exercise every day and not to do so is a threat to their survival because there's this huge fear response at the thought of not exercising. And so if that's you, then it's like anything else where we need to rewire the brain. And in doing that, you have to teach your brain that it's okay not to exercise. And in order to do that, mm -hmm. you have to abstain. <laughs> Absolutely. I also want to touch on something that you just said there, which um, your podcast actually very much changed the way that I have seen, um, you know, anorexia as a whole, which I did some research on in college and um, was it's always been very interesting to me because I don't see clients who are severely anorexic, but, um, you know, working in the eating disorder treatment center, I do work with them. And it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is that whole so the whole uh, flee from famine hypothesis and all of that, that it's arguable that anorexia is not just this psychological issue. And like, like your guests have said on uh, previous episodes, that it's not just a mothering issue or a controlling issue. I think that is something that is so, so important that uh, people going through that understand that this isn't just a primarily psychological issue. And that, like you said in the beginning of this show, that, you know, 
that is a that's a bodily response. That is the hunger and satiety signals going out of control and demanding something from you. Um, so yeah, I didn't want to get off on too much of a tangent there, but I do think mm-hmm. that's an important thing to understand. Absolutely, and um, I think it's it's um, one of the one of the reasons that there's so there's so much conflicting stuff out there for people with anorexia and I think it's really difficult for people to navigate well what should I be doing in recovery and I do think a lot of the problem though is that people are looking externally for the answer of what their recovery is and ignoring what their their biology is actually telling them and if we're honest about it most of the time our biology is really deep down telling us eat and rest Mm. and but that's scary so we look, we look to the, we look externally to try and get that confirmed, which is really, really difficult in a culture that celebrates, over celebrates diet and exercise. It's really difficult to have that message of eat and rest confirmed. Absolutely, yeah. No, the culture, the culture kind of survives off of our own insecurities and our fear, like you said, our fear of eating, of gaining weight, anything like that. So. That is one reason that diet culture is so unbelievably toxic. Like I think beyond what we even really comprehend is because it has simultaneously created this collective hatred of our bodies and then also offered the sort of poison apple as an answer. So it's, it says, you know, hate your bodies on one hand and then take this as your answer. And it's a diet that just spirals you back into the problem well there's a lot of there's actually a lot of love your body messaging but it's love your body but only if it looks like this (laughs) it's just right right absolutely yes i was actually in fact just talking about this that there there is there's a problem i think with social media where you know things like intuitive eating like anything has the potential to turn toxic and so there there's a lot of like you just said people posting these pictures on social media of their bodies and saying you know love your body and the message kind of eventually becomes isolated to people who are leaner or smaller. And you're right. Yeah. It, it turns into a love your, you know, in brackets, lean body. That's, that's just what <laughs> right. this has become. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is kind of sad, but yes. <laughs> anyway, so, um, I, I had a look at your book and it runs through, it's like, it's a hundred days, isn't it? And there's different chapters and on each day, really, there's a, there's a different focus or a different me- message or a different thing to be working on or and there's themes to do with which week, isn't there? Right, right, yes. So it's like a proper workbook it, that you work through these 100 days, yeah. It is, it is. And I, sh- I should clarify that um, because I know, you know one thing that you have said on this podcast before um, that, you, that this is not just a psychological issue. That is one reason that I... I clarify in the book that it is not for anyone going through a very severe part of their um, like weight restoration process, anything like that. So anyone in immediate need of medical refeeding, this is not the book is not tailored to them. I just want to make sure I'm not, you know, targeting this book oh, towards anyone that, yeah, who really, yeah, is really responsible of you. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But yes, yes. To to answer your question, yes, it is. It's supposed to be. Um, so it's, it's 100 days, and the idea is that every week is a different theme, and so it kind of focuses on what, throughout my recovery, I noticed were different themes that I needed to work on. And of course, I didn't go through the specific 100 days of my own recovery because I created this afterwards, but it is a way that I was able to sort of conceptualize what recovery can look like in a step-by-step format so that people don't feel like they have to, on their own, figure out what to do. Yeah. 
Um, and do you have, does there anything that stands out to you as like a favorite step or a favorite week, favorite exercise in that book? Yes. Yes. <laughs> there, there is one day called Let Ed Run Wild. Um, and the idea is something I learned actually from the Headspace app, the meditation app, that um, during a meditation session, it can be helpful sometimes to have a period dedicated to just sort of mental freedom, just not having yourself do anything. Because sometimes in recovery, the implicit message becomes ingrained that you have to be doing things right all the time. And so the, the, the let Ed run wild idea is that you, during a meditation session, sort of let those thoughts run wild. And they kind of run wild in a controlled manner because the idea is that at some point, you're going to reel it all back in. But it allows you to not have to see your eating disorder in a negative light. Because I say multiple times throughout the book that I'm a little bit against the whole um, anti-eating disorder thing. So, so what I mean by that is when people say that they're going to war against their eating disorder or battling their eating disorder, I understand the intentions. But, um, you know, it is for better or for worse. And for worse, I think we can say it is a part of you. And... And, and it's important that we're able to nurture um, every part of you so that you are able to see this and say, this is something that I want to move away from. Uh, at least I want to move away from the outcomes that this causes. But at the same time, acknowledge that, you know, these are thoughts that are coming up and I don't have to fight them. I can see them and then choose to act differently. So, so that's mm -hmm. sort of the thought process there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and did that work for you? It did. It did because uh, for me, it was something where I didn't realize in the beginning stages that what I was going through was an eating disorder. And that's one reason that this is such a, um, this is something that I mentioned so frequently in the book is that I never knew to hate my eating disorder because I didn't know that it, that's what it was. So I think that's something that sort of helped me recover quicker than I might have otherwise. Um, I didn't label myself as having an eating disorder. And so it wasn't you know, I, I think I use the term disordered eating frequently to describe it throughout that process, but um, I was very hesitant to call it an eating disorder. And while that might have been a little disingenuous, at the same time, it let me escape all those connotations and let me escape the, the thought that I'm going to have this forever and all of that. Um, and it let me just, you know, be kind to myself and appreciate myself. Yeah, so also I think, yes, as you said, it let you escape all of the misconceptions that there are about eating disorders and what recovery is. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. For sure. Um, I, I think, sadly, that's a very real reality, that sometimes um, the, the, less, the, the less sort of treatment, in inverted commas, a person has, the more um, genuinely and quickly they are able to recover. But we won't go into that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so if you could, if, if you could say um, anything to guys in particular, I know you've already said be vulnerable, allow yourself to be that. Is there anything just, just um, as any last words that you'd like to say? Yeah, um, I would like to, and I appreciate you giving me this, uh, this portion to say this because I do really want, want guys to feel comfortable talking about this stuff. Um, I would like to say that strength is uh, can be seen in many ways. This is something that I've said to my clients who I help open up about their eating disorders to their parents. I say that because I commonly hear from them that they're worried that their parents aren't going to think they're strong. Um, and I hear this from girls and guys. But um, the thing that I try to push across is that 
strength has a lot of meanings. And I think once you open up to someone about something as personal as an eating disorder, uh, most people, especially your loved ones, will see that as strength in a different light. They'll see that um, this is something that you've been going through and it will help them understand what you're going through. I guess what I really want guys to understand and what I'm so fortunate to have been able to understand myself and my recovery process is that that there is strength in recovery, um, strength beyond what you might even realize. It's just, it takes a lot of, I know I already talked about the vulnerability piece, but it does take a lot of vulnerability and a lot of uh, just putting yourself out there. And you do learn through the process how strong you really are. So it's so, so important for guys going through this to find ways to open up, even if it's just in a support group for the time being, if you're not quite ready to open up to loved ones, um, it, it does need to be something where you're communicating about this with others because no man is an island. Yeah, so. and absolutely. And I love how you, you see that, you know, you mentioned strength. And I think that it takes so much strength to for anybody to recover from an eating disorder or disordered eating. But there's so much strength gained from not being in a fight with your own body. Just yes. when it's like when two things work together, when your mind and your body starts to work together, there's just strength is definitely mental strength is one of the major gains there because it's harm, it's harmonious. And when things are op- opposing, it's like, it's like any two groups of people. If people start to work together, they can do twice as much. It's and it, it's the it's a similar sort of thing when you actually become stop fighting your own body, stop fighting your own biology, become friends with it, and start working together. You can just achieve so much more in your life. Um, and I think oh, that that's, that's that's one of the major things that um, my recovery taught me is that life is so much better when I'm not constantly arguing with my own biology, or trying to at least, um, and I can achieve so much more. And just overall um, be a more complete person in many ways. Absolutely. That is, that is very true. It's, um, that's, that's one of the main things about eating disorders. So it's that you are fighting against yourself constantly. And we don't even really realize how frequently that affects us. You know, I don't know if these uh, studies are exactly on point, but there's a lot of studies that say we make upwards of 250 food decisions in a given day. Um, and even if it's south of that, the, the reality is that you're constantly having to battle this and we don't realize how much that wears on you and mm. um, how much that depletes you. So you yeah. are totally correct in saying that. And I really like that you said that, you know, there's that harmonious element of recovery where it's finally you and you together in a happy, positive relationship. And that's so important. Yeah. So. And it's, it's really interesting how so many people are scared of what that might look like when they're going into recovery because they're so used to their eating disorder world that they're kind of scared of, well, what would my life be without it? And it's just so difficult to explain, but also like, well, it's basically you're not fighting with yourself anymore. So like, Definitely. lots of good things happen when you're not fighting with yourself. Lots of good things come of that. <laughs> yes, yes, that is so true. Yeah. Yes. Well, so how can people, if they're interested in getting hold of you or um, your book or anything like that, Ari, how can people get a hold of you? So my book is called 100 Days of Food Freedom. It's available on Amazon. Um, people can reach me through my site, which is 100doff.com. That's just the number 100 and then doff.com. 
I have a pretty clear contact me page there and all of that. Um, and that's how people can ultimately reach me best. Thank you, Ari, for coming on the podcast. We covered lots of interesting things there. I hope that was helpful to um, those of you listening. That bit that we touched on at the end, it's funny how some weeks there are certain themes that seem to come up among clients, Which and it's funny because I have lots of clients in lots of different countries of different ages, different stages of recovery, different eating disorders, but something that's come up quite a lot this week um, is just the who am I when I don't have an eating disorder question and fear around, well, if I don't have an eating disorder, I don't have an excuse not to have a job or I don't have an excuse not to be living with my parents or I don't have an excuse not to have a partner um, or I don't have an excuse not to do X, Y, and Z. It all comes up and um, we touched on it a little bit in the end there. And I think it's what happens is your brain just tries to throw up anything because your brain is so fearful of recovery and what that means, eating more, gaining weight, all of those things. So it throws up anything it can to, you know, put a log under the bus, um, which will stop you in your tracks and be like, yeah, I'm scared of that thing. I don't want to move forward. And there's nothing that you can really do other than have blind faith that your life, when you're recovered, will be better than your life when you have an eating disorder. And logically, I know that you know that. Of course you do. But there's nothing about fear that's logical, is there? And um, I can honestly say that I've never met somebody that fully recovered, that didn't look back and thought, oh yeah, that was way better and I had an eating disorder. Never. But you're not going to know that, are you? Until you get there. Thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers and cheerio.